0: Hey listeners, my name is Quinn and I'm the producer at City Church Savannah. The City Church production team tries our best to bring you quality content every week. Unfortunately, some technical difficulties are hard to prevent and sometimes fall through the cracks. This week's recording has poor audio quality, but we wanted to make sure this week's message was available to those who wanted to listen regardless of the quality. I hope you enjoy and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to week one of the meme series at City Church. We are honored and blessed to have you join us for our online worship experience. It is our intent to share God's word with the local community, online viewers, and our church family. If you are from the Greater Savannah area and do not have a church home, we would love for you to visit us at 1624 East 38th Street at the corner of 38th and B Road. Remember, resources like this are meant to be supplemental, so get yourself to church. If you would like to find out more about City Church, you can find us by visiting citychurch.life or clicking the link in the description week one of our new series it is called memes and this the idea for this came from us sitting around in a staff meeting one day and we had dylan quinn and isaac in the room and the uh They were on their phones, and they were all laughing, and we were trying to find out what was going on, and they were exchanging memes. Uh, Everybody familiar with the idea of what a meme is? I probably should have put a funny one on the screen. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think some, you know, the idea of like somebody sending over a picture, and uh, you know what a really appropriate one would have been? I don't know if we have, if we can pull it up this fast, but it was... um, uh, Oh man, this is just how much I'm about to be in big trouble if I go this way. Uh, what's the bad guy's name in uh, the end game? Thanos. There we go. All right, <laughs> I know, I know, right? Thanos. Uh, and it was a uh, uh, it was uh, a meme that said something along the lines. Simon, you and I were looking at this one, and it was uh, like. Uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac, and it was like uh, it had a picture of Thanos' daughter. She's like, "Where's the lamb?" And then it was just a picture of Thanos staring. You know, see, I didn't even have to show it to you, and you got it, right? Okay, so uh, so you know, you get it. Like you see these things, and you and it's a way of communicating some truth, right? But oftentimes it's done in a way that's very comical, and then a lot of times it just falls flat. You know, somebody'll make a meme, and you're like. I don't get it like can you explain that to me and, uh, and that happens. Uh, so I want to kind of talk about memes and meme culture for just a moment. Uh, so the definition of the word meme according to Google uh, it is a noun uh, and it is an element of a culture or system of behavior that may be considered to be passed from one individual to another by non-genetic means especially imitation. I read this and I thought, are, are they, are, is, does anybody proofread this stuff? Like, this is what Google, this is how they describe this. And so I, I discovered a couple of things in the process of this. Uh, so it comes from this Greek word, uh, uh, my mima, uh, and that which is imitated. All right, so we're going to talk about this for just a little bit, but that which is imitated. And and the, I, the, the, the word as we know it, the way we use it uh, as meme, uh, there's, some, there's some discrepancy out there. Uh, it was showing up in, uh, in the 60s in kind of like a cultural way, uh, people using the word, uh, but the first time that it really was put into like a form factor was uh, in a book Richard Dawkins wrote. Uh, he said, we need a name for the new replicator, a noun that conveys the idea of a unit of cultural transmission or a unit of imitation my meme uh, comes from a suitable Greek root, but I want a monosyllable that sounds a bit like gene. I hope my classicist friends will forgive me if I abbreviate my meme to meme. If it is any consolation, it could alternatively be thought of as being related to memory or to the French word meme. It should be pronounced to rhyme with cream. A lot of depth coming out of Richard Dawkins' writing here Richard Dawkins of course uh one of the more popular atheists uh, of our time writing this in the 70s and uh the idea here was that they were they were uh there's there's a, there's a manner of in which we collect data and when we collect data to try to determine things uh, we, have to, we have to figure out ways to measure the data, right? And so we'll look at something, and so of course we have numeric systems that are in place and they allow us when we go to cook to be able to say, hey, put a teaspoon of this in there and a cup of this in there and a half a cup. And one of the things that him and a lot of other scientists uh, were uh, discovering at the time, and I, I really think is probably, uh, has a, a really valid point, is that we see that in genetics, things can be passed down, and so these are uh, just uh, uh, earmarks in who we are, in our, uh, in, in maybe the way that our body is shaped, uh, uh, things that maybe like allergies are kind of hardwired. Here, this this idea of genetic transference, but the problem is, is that that that's not enough. It's not enough to just say, "Hey, I've got my mom's." or my dad's genes and so that measures all of what we see in imitation it actually doesn't uh there's a tremendous amount of what would really be like cultural genetics that also moves into the lives of people and so the idea was how do we measure uh uh what's happening in this imitation within culture uh the same way that we do with genetics and so he had this idea of taking this word meme and using it because it rhymed with gene and that's the legitimate like breakdown and why he put it that way uh, and so uh, it became a form of measuring uh, imitation that was being transferred culturally from one generation to the next and then. People grabbed a hold of it and ran with it and started having a lot of fun with uh, the idea of a meme, and it actually bothered him tremendously. He wanted it to stay extremely scientific, and it was a huge fail on his end. Uh, and and that's not the data; just supports it. Just type in the word meme, and you will not find any type of data points for cultural transference. You will find pictures of Thanos talking about Abraham and deers walking through swimming pools and. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of a, it's over. And it still does though communicate this idea of imitation. And what it, what the imitation is, is it's really about translation. It's about looking at something and going, oh, this makes me think of this. And so it really becomes a form of education, conversation points. Now, my problem with uh, Richard uh, Dawkins' Kind of a breakdown here and really the way that he approaches a lot of data collection is i i feel like that him and a lot of other people and uh use a a formula very similar and i'm going to show you this is a very rudimentary formula i'm not trying to get up here and debate like atheism over this series uh but but follow me for a moment If we use this formula, X plus Y equals Z, where X equals the data that I collect, Y equals a variable that I'm trying to discover, and Z equals no designer, right? Uh, Then the problem that I run into is that all of my data then becomes skewed. And and, and follow me on this because a lot of times people will resolve, and, and let me tell you something, uh, and until you have a personal relationship with Christ, right? Uh, Christ, people will, will do the same thing. People will not be, be real believers. They will not have a relationship with God. They will just be showing up and going to church because grandma did, and they will do the exact same thing, insert designer and so they don't know Jesus they don't know the word of god they don't really understand resurrection and yet they go grandma said it was true so it's true and so all data that i collect in life goes through the lens of there is a designer and and that's the that's going to be like the far left and the far right and the problem is there's there's no way to get good there's no way to get good answers from that and what we should do as we discover a relationship with god because it should be a personal relationship with the maker is that we should use the formula where it is data collected plus some variable equals existence, right? And so what happens is, is that as I begin to look at the data around me, right? And all of the variables that fall in and out, right? Whatever is existing around me is going to pull back to this variable, right? This variable is going to be the thing that leads to why everything is here and what happens is is that variable is God that variable is the designer and so when you go to the previous formula data collected plus a variable equals no designer what you have is data collected plus a designer equals no designer that means that all of my data has to be skewed to offset the fact that I have a plus designer, so that I'm constantly looking at things and going, well, I don't need a designer, so I have to, I have to figure out how all this came into being without a God, without a designer. And this is why uh, we see that so many scientists end up, especially as they age in life and do a tremendous amount of work, they will move from atheism to agnosticism if they refuse to accept God, the creator, where they will say there has to be some type of creator, it's just too complex. So... That being said, something, there's something about imitation, right? So it's happening genetically, but there's another form of imitation that matters. And Richard Dawkins was onto something. This imitation that's happening culturally, it matters. It We should be measuring it because that data point, right, when it's added in, is going to Help us come to some types of conclusion. Again, if I am already decided that there's no designer, then as I'm sitting here and debating this thing, I'm never going to look at the data honestly. But if I'm looking at the data honestly and looking at the world around me, the existence that is here honestly, then what happens is designer has to be in the equation. And so being imitators is actually something that is a really good thing. In fact, it's so good that we move ourselves all the way back into the writings of scripture and we discover that this idea of imitation was something that God actually told his people to be like, to be imitators. So the word that uh, uh, we come back to is this word, mitai. And when we look at this idea of being a uh, imitator, I'm going to go to Ephesians 5, and there are uh, six verses in the New Testament that use this exact uh, breakdown of imitation, okay? And I'll explain a little bit more about this in just a moment. But this is what Paul says when he writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and i just pause for a second right there, as beloved children, there's some really good truth in this because whether or not we are talking about Christian households or the most godless households or even those households all over the world where, where, where families believe in other deities and have other practices, children mimic that which their children do. We, we find this to be... Something that actually is not, a, there's not a great variance to this. That it is something, I, I, let's just, I mean, we can even talk about economics, right? When somebody grows up in poverty, the odds of them climbing out of poverty are very, very slim because they know what has been put in front of them. They, un, they have a way of doing life. They have habits that are formed because of the way that mom and dad did life. And so this, this is really good. The idea of being an imitator of the creator, an imitator of God, an imitator of his son is really good because just like we as children, right, who are loved by our parents in a healthy environment, grow up to be loving parents, if we will imitate God, we will pass the information forward. This explains really honestly why we have seen Christianity take root in such a way globally since Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Is because people bought into it and said, Jesus did it this way, I'll do it this way, and governments have been completely taken down, not by the fierce hand of God, but by the love and compassion of people who follow Jesus. Governments could not, withstand the type of love that the people who love jesus were showing and sharing we see letters throughout the time of the roman empire where where they are uh uh, you have the, the 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 leaders writing out to governors and and uh different district leaders saying listen we have a problem People love the Christians because when they're hungry and they show up at a Christian's house, they feed them. We need you to change the way you're doing things because we're losing loyalty here. People are becoming these loving, compassionate types of people who are willing to be crucified. They're willing to be martyred. They don't have a problem. They're not afraid of death. Their faith goes beyond this life. We have an issue because the, the tactics that we usually use to to, to strike fear in this them are not working and instead they're walking out the door and loving people unconditionally i need you to start doing this and then we see letters in history that were written back going we tried but they smell they eat too much they don't know when to leave and we can't do this and ultimately the roman empire collapses right and what doesn't collapse the church Now, is the church perfect? The church is not perfect. And, And can I just tell you one more thing just really quickly? So people will go, oh, you know, the church is just not perfect. Look at all the atrocities, blah, 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 the bad things. If God had an expectation that the church would be perfect, he would never have put man in charge of it. And if you're here today and you're like, I'm looking for the perfect church. I can introduce you to some guys because I will let you down. Because perfection is not hardwired into my genes and it hasn't been memed into me. But there's something about the way the church has moved forward because we grabbed onto this idea of being imitators. He goes on and says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This word, my uh, uh, the, the breakdown here that's a little bit different about my meme is that the, the word that Dawkins went to was basically what is an improper noun. It could just describe any object. But the word that Paul uses is a proper noun. It is a identifier of a specific type of person. It's not generic. And he says, you need to be proper imitators of God. What does that mean? It means it needs to be in our identity. Now, I think this is really good because if I'm gonna be an imitator, I want to be an imitator of God and I want it to be just like my name is a proper noun, right? I want to be known as an imitator of God. When they say imitator of God, I, I don't want people to think about something else. I want them to go, oh, Jim Simpson. Just like when somebody says Jim Simpson, I don't want them to think of Thanos. See how I remembered it right there? I did that for you guys, right? I want people to think of Jim Simpson. So as an imitator of Christ, as an imitator of God, I want to be connected to him. So let's talk about this idea of being an imitator of God, what it looks like to be these imitators as scripture instructs us to. And right here, he says to be an imitator and what? Walk in love as Christ loved us. And I'm gonna really kind of hang into this idea of how Christ loved us. And I'm gonna make an argument for you today that it is way more complicated to identify and measure love in your life than it is to give love. That there are a lot of voices and complications when it comes to how I am loved versus how I love. So the title or the meme for today is love. And you can put this on top of anything out there that you would like to and hopefully it will make a little bit more sense when we get to the end. God loves you. I think that in order to have any type of conversation around love, especially for those who are believers, we need to have this emphatic, non-debatable decision that we hold deep down inside that while we may not understand everything about the word of God, we may not understand all of God's ways. What we do know is that he loves us. I don't know why he does what he does sometimes. I don't know what he's gonna do sometimes, but I know that God loves me. I think this is in a healthy household, something that we see as being evident inside of kids, right? If somebody, as a grown man, if one of you were to come up and jump me in the parking lot and, and uh, and I was going to say spank me, but that would just be all kinds of weird, but you were to give me a whoop down of some sort, right? The next time I saw you next Sunday, I would be like keeping my, my, my distance, right? I'd probably talk to an elder, a couple of leaders, I'd be like, you need to keep your eye on that crazy person. They tried to attack me, right? Okay right? But, but when our children do wrong and we discipline them, right? Okay. Well, our kids don't do that. Our kids, if we do it with love and compassion, they're not like, like, like telling everybody, trying to hide. No, five minutes later, my kids will be having their arms wrapped tight around my neck, crying and telling me that they love me or ready to go play or whatever that looks like, right? that there's something about the fact that when we know deep inside of us that somebody loves us, like that rough moment, that moment of correction or that moment of miscommunication or misunderstanding, it does not break the love. And so we need to be people who understand that God loves us no matter what. And so when somebody says, I've done something really terrible, I don't know if God can forgive me, we need to be the type of people who go, oh, that's crazy talk. Because that's totally not the God that we serve. The God that we serve says, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, how it happened, I forgive you, right? I will forgive you. Because God loves us. But how do we receive this love? How do we receive this love in a way where we go, you know what, I'm loved. You know what, I feel like God loves me no matter what. This is something that really honestly is just so broken in the world around us right now. This idea of how we know that we're loved. So much so that we have to begin to pour out our own understandings of love and create demands from other people telling people you will love me this way. If you don't love me this way, then you're going to crush me and hurt me. And this is the only way that I know that love exists. And so what happens is we begin to dictate the terms of love. Now, you guys know I love to define the terms, right? I I love to put the definitions up on the screen. And I'm going to tell you, there are no good definitions for love. And the problem is, is that every definition of love is written with bias, It is written with the bias of how the person writing it views love and how they want to receive love and measure love. And so therefore, they begin to break down love to mean this and to mean that. And what happens is we begin to read those definitions and we begin to listen to what they're saying. And then some of us are going, well, hold on. That's not how I receive love. That's not how I express love. And I think this is probably really genius on the designer's part because what it allows us to do is it allows us not to be in a personal intimate relationship with every stranger we meet. Because love is not equal in every single situation. The love that I have for my wife and kids is very different than the love that I have for somebody else. And if we just create one simple definition, then all of a sudden we lose the ability to have boundaries when it comes to love. Now, I think there are some ingredients in love that we can all agree fall into, uh, should fall into love for everybody. And one of those that's a major one is the idea of affirmation. That is somebody affirming us, letting us know that what we're doing is making a difference, letting us know that how we are living is good. We need somebody in our lives that says, I love you and I am proud of you and look at what you're doing. Like that, That is a really deep, special type of love when you have somebody in your life that is coming up and telling you that you're doing a great job, especially when it bears a lot of weight. Now, we can receive affirmation from a lot of people, but it's not always gonna have that same weightiness to it, right? It's not gonna have the, the same weight. So, so when I get up here and I and I preach and I, I pour my heart and my... Mind and everything that I have into the message, and I'm up here and I'm ready and I'm teaching. And after service, some of you guys will come up and go, "That was a really good word. That really encouraged me." I want you to tell me. I want I want to tell you that that affirmation is appreciated. Like it's a marker. I go, "Man, okay, that's good." Then that means that for somebody, this made a difference in their lives. And and when I get on Facebook or Instagram or some form of social media, and somebody has taken some, uh, you know, line from the message and and reposted that, tweeted it, whatever. What happens for me is I go, man, all right, somebody really got it. So much so they needed the world to know that that, that made a difference. But I, I wanna tell you that those levels of affirmation, while greatly appreciated and definitely measured, do not hold the same value as when I step off of the platform and my wife tells me that was good. Because my wife hears me talk all the time. She knows all about Secret gym. And if somebody in my life who knows all of my ins and outs and my failures and my shortcomings can step up and go, I'm really proud of you, You did that was good. Then, then, then that creates tremendous value in my life. Sometimes uh, uh, even my, my mom or my dad will be watching online. Maybe they're watching right now. And uh, this last week, my mom made a point of telling me that the word was really good. And I was like, wow, my mom knew my shortcomings long before Carmen knew my shortcomings, right? She knew shortcomings that I have grown out of and for her to say, hey, I'm really proud of you, what you said was good, man, that affirmation, that means a lot, right? So, so affirmation coming from different people, it has different value and different weight and, and it should be a... Ne- Let's look over here at Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And I think this is super awesome. I love this passage. Uh, Jesus uh, is uh, coming down to where John the Baptist is doing some baptisms. And it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan." So uh, John, in case you're not familiar with the backstory, uh, came and he was ordained, uh, called by God to be one who through the wilderness declared that the Son of God was coming. So that you have a group of people who are looking for the Messiah, they're looking for this coming Savior. John the Baptist is uh, brought into this world, and his destiny was to walk the streets declaring, hey, that Messiah you've been looking for, he is here. And he did this faithfully, having not yet met the Messiah, and he comes down to this place to be baptized. And of course, We get a picture of this from the different gospels where uh, John says, I'm not worthy to do this. Jesus says, listen, you've got to do this in order for prophecy to be fulfilled. Uh, And so we have Jesus coming from this moment of being born, right, all the way forward to this moment of baptism. And what we have not seen through scripture to this point is the type of affirmation that Jesus is about to get. So Jesus is 30 years old. He's been trucking along, doing life, working hard, being obedient, right? Teaching the word of God. He's establishing a ministry. And here he comes to be baptized. He knows that being baptized is part of what he has to do to fulfill the prophecies those things which were told. And when he is baptized... It says, he came up out of the water and immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. So here's this supernatural moment that's taking place at the point of his baptism. A supernatural experience that had not happened in the previous 30 years of his life based on what we see and probably the reason that this is being shared is because it was supernatural, not just everyday, normal, natural. This was something that was exceptional. And I'm going to go back to this idea of affirmation, affirmation given every single day by every single person loses its weight, right? And sometimes we've got to wait so that the affirmation that comes really means something, right? Right? And it says that a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. With you I am well pleased. And so so Jesus in obedience comes to this place and once he fulfills that, that thing that was prophetically spoken, and, he, and he's and from birth to this point, he has worked hard. He has been diligent. He has lived a life without sin. He comes to baptism. And as he is coming out of the water, his father speaks and says, son, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for where you're at right now. This, hey guys, this is my son. And I'm really proud of him. Now, I I can't speak for the women in the room today, and maybe not for every man, but I, I can tell you that hearing those words from your dad can be really heavy, and it can create a lot of hurt when you don't. Having somebody that loves you in your life, that knows, they know, They know the failures, the shortcomings, the potentials for disaster. They know all the things that you know. To have somebody that loves you and says, hey, what you just did, I'm proud of that. Like, it transforms you. When Zoe was born and was at the hospital, uh, they told us that uh, he was going to die. There was no chance that he was going to live. And... Uh, there were a lot of miracles that took place there, and uh, when they took him off the respirator and he didn't die, uh, my, my parents, Carmen's parents, family, they had all come into town to be with us, and because he did not die and because the doctors did not know what was going on, you know, family could not stay indefinitely, and uh, I'll never forget my dad. We were living at the Ronald McDonald House asking me to come outside and uh, we stood there in front of those doors and uh, he said, uh, hey, I, I probably don't say this often enough but I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of the man that you've become. Can I tell you, and my wife will tell you that that wrecked me, I needed to hear that. Sometimes we need affirmation and affirmation becomes this, 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 Healer in our lives right what is it healing it's healing because there's been so much hard work and effort put into getting to that place and this is one of the reasons why I say that without a doubt affirmation is one of the ingredients when we're talking about love That we know love through affirmation you see in the midst of the process in the midst of obedience in the midst of seeing it through, the voice shows up. Maybe, maybe you're this person, right? Or, or maybe somebody who's watching online, you're going like, I don't know that I am loved. Can I tell you that sometimes the marker, that moment where you go, I know that I know that I'm loved happens when you are in the midst of doing some really hard things. When you are making changes inside of you to become worthy of love. We live in a society that is desperate to get all of what's good without any effort. And it's truth. We have a political system that is as divided as it's ever been. And at the heart of it, one of the major arguments is around this idea of love and how do I know I'm loved? And, and how do you tell me that you love me? And, and I need to feel this love. And I just want to tell you that, that that's great. You can tell me you love me all day long, but it's in that moment where I'm being obedient and I am pressing through and I'm doing it even when I don't know that I'm being loved. And then somebody speaks up and says, good job. I'm proud of you. That, in that moment, my life has value. It's not recognized, it has value. You can recognize that I live all day long. I want my life to mean something. Come on, am I wrong about this? Are you not living a life where you go to bed at night thinking I hope my life has value to the world around me? Does anybody else not want to mean something to this world before they die? Does anybody else not want to deep inside? You're going, I hope that somebody remembers what I've done when I'm gone. I can't imagine sitting there going, I don't care, it doesn't matter, my life is worthless. And maybe that's just me, but hardwired deep inside of me is this idea that in my identity, I need purpose, I'm not here by accident, I had value somewhere, and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get to this place. Where somebody goes, yes, that made the difference. And I've had it happen multiple times in my life already where somebody has come on the other side of a difficult situation and said, thank you. Like, like what you did made a difference in my life. And what was I doing? Exactly what Jesus had done for 30 years. He had loved God. He had said, I love you no matter what. I will push through and I will fight for you until the very very end and you know that's what God's doing for so many of you so many who don't have this like I don't feel this connection I don't know what's going on and I'm living in sin and blah 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 and God's going I love you anyway I love you I love you listen can you hear me I love you I love you and then you get to this place where you start going you know what, I'm going to do this no matter what. And and you begin to live with some self-control and you begin to fight through some things. And then all of a sudden, one day you're in that one place where you hear the voice of God go, good job. And you go, oh, I believed he loved me, but I know he loves me. It's really interesting what happens uh, after this and I wrote these let me say them real quick we, we want now what we can't have yet we want our way before we obey right we want to receive love before we give love right you need I need to know that you love me before I actually love you because we want affirmation. We want to know that people are going to be okay with who we are. And yet what we find in scripture is that God, who's loved us from the foundations of creation, he loves us regardless, but expects us to pick up our cross. He expects us to live lives that make a difference. And so again, I I can't define this idea of love for you in a way that's gonna be all encompassing for every person in the room. But I can tell you affirmation is gonna fall in there if you're really honest, you're gonna wanna know, you're gonna want to know inside of love that somebody is looking at you going, I love you and I really mean it and you make a difference and you add value. I say I love you all the time to my family and I give Carmen a hard time for this. One day we were uh, uh, in the bedroom and uh, folding laundry, very romantic. And uh, uh, I, uh, I had said, I love you. And she said, uh, I love you too. She's folding laundry. And I thought I was being really romantic. And I said, how does it feel to know that somebody loves you with the type of passion and love that I love you? And she, without even looking up, she says, I'm used to it. Set it to the side. And I was like, what? (laughs) That is not the response that I wanted. But upon reflection, it was a really great response that she feels so comfortable with me that she doesn't really sit there wondering, do I love her? Right? So love is not just affirmation. Love is much more than affirmation. But affirmation holds and bears a tremendous amount of weight inside of this idea of love. And watch what happens here in the next verse. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The Spirit of God comes. Uh, oh, my two slides bled together. So the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, right? What does he do? This is what he says. He says, hey, listen, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're doing a great job. By the way, I need you to go out into the wilderness. It's time to be tempted. Now, is that the follow-up that you expect, right? Like we want that really magical moment where it's like, like you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I love you. I love you too. You're so amazing. Oh, I'm so proud. Hey, listen, now it's time to go out in the wilderness by yourself for 40 days, all right? I'll see you when you get back. That's exactly what happens here. This is my son, I'm proud of him. And it says that the, 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 the dove as, as the representative of the spirit of God comes down, comes down on him and becomes this direct pipeline, this voice to the father. And the first thing that the spirit says, this man, we're making this connection. The first thing it says is, hey, it's time to go. We gotta go out in the wilderness and be tempted. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes right out into that place. He goes right out into the place of temptation, into the wilderness. He's obedient. He's obedient because he believes he's loved. Ever have your parents tell you, do what I'm telling you to do. Don't ask questions. I know what's better. I've been some places you haven't been. I find myself saying this to my kids all the time. And they're going, why do I have to do that? Because I said so. I vowed I would never say that. I vowed, like, I would look at my parents and go, I will never tell my kids because I said so, right? And now it's like, you don't, you're not getting it. Like, you, it's, it's obviously, you're not at a place where you're understanding. So here's what I'm going to tell you, is that even though you don't understand it, Even though it seems complicated, I love you and I would not ask you to do something that would hurt you. I want what's good for you, what's best for you. And isn't it interesting too, like, and and maybe nobody else has kids in their house uh, right now, but isn't it interesting that sometimes you bring a comment to your children out of love as like a little prodding of like, hey, listen, try this, and it immediately is, they turn to you like you just pulled a sword out and took a swing at them, and immediately they go into battle mode, you know what I'm saying, and I'm like, what is going on, like, I was just, I just was telling you, like, this could be a better way to do it, and you're, like, ready to fight, you know, and I constantly have to go, hey, you remember that I love you, right, and they're like, yes, right, but it's, it's difficult, difficult to be in that position of trust it's difficult to be in that place where you go yeah i know i know that you love me and so the things that you're saying are not to hurt me so he goes out into the wilderness sometimes affirmation prepares you for temptation and sometimes temptation happens in the wilderness and can i tell you being in the wilderness is zero measure of whether you're loved or not understand what i'm saying here today you're walking through a difficult place in life maybe right now that's what's happening life isn't what you dreamt it would be that has nothing to do with the love the creator has for you because in love he'll let you walk through the wilderness just like in love i will let my kids clean up their own messes doesn't make sense to them I don't wanna clean my room. I love you, go clean your room. I'm not cleaning your room for you. Go wash the dishes. I didn't, I didn't dirty all those dishes. There's dishes to be washed. And they don't go over there and start washing the dishes in the house. And then I'm over here going, see, I don't love you. Here's the proof. You wanted to know if I loved you? I told you to wash dishes. Ha, I don't. It's not how it works. Several years ago, Carmen and I rented a car to go to a wedding uh, down in Ocala, Florida. And uh, I wasn't paying attention to the fuel gauge on it because I don't know why. And we were on the interstate. And we ran out of gas. Anybody ever run out of gas before in a vehicle? Come on. Some of y'all are lying. I need some hands up. Thank you. Some honest people in the house, right? It's like, it's an embarrassing thing, but it happens, right? All right. And so we were on the, one of the interstates down there. I don't remember which one, but it was Florida, and it was hot, and we had no gas, and I did not have anybody that I could call. And so uh, we had a black Impala, and Carmen and I were sitting there, and I did not know what to do, and I said, hop in the driver's seat, and I'm going to push the car. And so I pushed the car for just over a mile, and if you're like, oh, that's nothing, try it. It was hard, it was, uh, it was hot, asphalt adds to the heat, the car was hot to the touch and I am pushing that car down the road with my wife in the driver's seat and I am pushing and I am sweating and I want to tell you, I pushed it for just over a mile to the first off-ramp I got to and literally when I got to the off-ramp, somebody finally stopped me that whole time I was all by myself, right? Now, can I tell you, that was a hard thing to do. I did not get in the car and go, my good-for-nothing wife didn't do anything but sit there and steer I I don't measure whether she loves me or values me or not based on whether or not she jumps out and pushes a hot car and then I had to I don't measure our relationship based on well I did something that was way more difficult than she did so she must not love me if she really loved me she would have jumped out that's not what happened no I pushed the thing the entire way I got in the car and I was thankful that she was there because now she could drive once I got some fuel in the car I can take a moment and get the the rest that I needed to be tended to and taken care of for a moment because what I did was hard. What I did was difficult. It says and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan himself. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. It was a really difficult place for him to be. And what did God do? God sent people these angels. He sent these, these these angels to come alongside and make sure that he was okay. You know that God will do the same thing in your life when you're walking through hell and you feel like it's all falling apart. If you keep walking, what you'll discover is the reason that you've been able to make it so far is because there have been people there all along and they might not have the depth of love that the Father has for but they have love for the father. And so they're in your tribe and they're showing up to be a part of what's happening to help you get to the other side. So that when you come out of that position, that place of torment, that position that has had you crazy, that wilderness, you don't come out of it falling apart and a wreck, but you come out of it stronger, having withstood the temptation and knowing that God loves you. And I want to tell you too many people get to the place of temptation and they forget the father's voice. They lose their minds and they lose their hearts. And you he I tell you what's so magical and amazing and just next level about God is he just shows up and says, Let's try this again. Come on. Let's try this again. And as long as you extend your hand, it's time. Round two, round three, round four, whatever it takes to get you to be the man or woman that he's called you to be so that you'll walk in the destiny you were created for so that you'll have purpose in your life so that in those last moments when you're taking those last breaths and you're kicking death's teeth in to meet Jesus on the other side you're gonna hear the voice that says well done my good and faithful servant hey that's my boy that's my girl and who I am well pleased Jesus says Sorry, this just comes to me as I'm preaching. <laughs> Baptism is representative of a physical death, right? Of like this, of this dying that's taking place. Physical, spiritual. We're, we're coming down. We come, we're a new creation, right? And the scripture says that God opened up the heavens and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then it gives us a, a, a picture later in scripture of how that after death, right, God is going to look at us and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. The exact same thing is going to happen to us on the other side. And so we've got to put the work in to get to the place of death. It is to to that point where we're going to experience death. It's going to happen for us unless Jesus shows up. And if he doesn't show up, we come to death. And do we get to the other side just like Jesus did where the voice of the Father says... That's my boy. That's my girl. I've been watching you. I've been sending angels to minister alongside. I know you've been through some temptation. I know that it's been difficult, but you're mine. And I lay claim to you here today. Let's stand to our feet. Love is not exclusively affirmation. Do not walk out of here and just take this idea of the affirmation that we can receive from the Father and from our friends and family and go, well, this is the only measurement of love. It is not the only measurement of love. It is a measurement of love and it is a weighty measurement of love. But in the end, there is no better life than the one imitated after Christ. almost as if the prayer is God make me a meme God get and let me be a meme for the kingdom you ever hear people who say no uh, press is bad press right for an organization uh, you can be mocked made fun of whatever if you're a business and it just does good for your business right you can be made to be the villain and if you own a business all of a sudden you're like booming right this is the same when it comes to being a Christian. Like when people try and they try really hard in, in Hollywood and, and, and they, they bring out the like stereotypical, super religious, straight line Christian and they make fun of them hardcore in a movie, right? And and, 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 and the initial gut reaction is like, oh, that's, that's gross. But the truth is, and Carmen and I realized this years ago, we laugh. Like we are watching them make fun of that, that quote unquote Christian and we laugh and we were like, why are we laughing one day? And we came to this, as a 50. we were like, that's not a Christian. Cause that's not what a Christian looks like. A Christian can take a punch in the face. Are my faiths not based on whether or not you like me or not? Jesus told me when they persecute you, remember they persecuted me first, I'm ready for it. Like I, I, if I've got messed up doctrine and I've had messed up doctrine in my life, do you think that I don't look back and go, I can't believe I believe that? Do you, do you think that I don't? So so those things, they just they just all flat. Like, like sit there, make fun of Christianity as much as you want. I'm not picketing you to stop because all you're doing is spreading the message that Jesus is alive. People begin to go, well, what kind of Christian was that? And they go and look it up and they discover God. I'm just saying, make me a me. Let me be an imitator of Christ. And if people want to mock Christ, let them mock me. Let's take a moment now, heads bowed and eyes closed. We wanna pray. And whether you're in this room or you're watching online, I wanna tell you this, that as we make a declaration to be like Him, what we are doing is we are accepting an invitation to be imitators, to to imitate the Father. So I wanna pray for the believers in the room right now, the believers who are watching. And I I want us to pray this prayer. I want us to pray and say, God, just I, I surrender those areas of my life that I've been holding on to, those areas that I have so desperately tried to hold on to because I, I want this, this uniqueness. No, God, I just give it to you. In every area of my life, may I imitate your greatness so that people can just get a glimpse of who you are, that people would be able to look at me even as a mean, even as a poor imitation one to be made fun of, that people could look and find the truth. God, help me to be an imitator of your ways. I surrender it to you today. Amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. I want to pray for people in the room who have not accepted Christ, you're not a believer, or maybe online you're watching uh, today or in the future, and you say, you know what? I, I want to know this Jesus really simple the scripture says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord that that we will be saved and what that's saying is this it's saying that 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 what we have to do is come to this position where we realize we need to be saved and when we come to that position and we identify that the Messiah is the one that will bring this the salvation then we are saved so just pray this prayer with me right now just say, Father, I surrender my life to you today to be transformed and renewed in your likeness. That's gonna make me an imitator of you. So I wanna know your ways. I wanna know your word. I declare today that Jesus is my only hope. And I invite you to be the savior of my life. Have your way in your mighty name. Amen and amen.